This is The Saucer Life, a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking, no kidding. Just the first book is like 500 pages or something. Today, we enter the Matrix. No, not that one. So, the subject is The Matrix by Valdemar Valerian. Volume 1. It's a massive book. The PDF I got my hands on runs to, uh, the PDF itself is about 600 pages of uh, sometimes illegible scanned text. The actual book itself is like closer to 400. Why a PDF? Well, I did look at Val Valerian's website, truefax.org, that's T-R-U-F-A-X.org, and could not find a way to buy the original volume, and copies floating around on the internet are... Pretty darn expensive for something that is basically a coil-bound photocopy. So, PDF Plus, it also, (laughs) you know I love these, has great margin notes in places, um, which which are fun. There's some fun ones. We've got got Sasha in to to be our marginalia voice on this episode. So, uh, we'll have a few of those. So, if you've heard our very old episode on the uh, the OH Krill documents, you'll be pretty familiar with this material. And a lot of it, a lot of his material that's been floating around in the UFO um, meme sphere for a very, very long time. And although Valerian, or his real name, supposedly, John Grace, goes into far more depth here than the Krill papers did, a lot of the basic outline is the same. So if you haven't heard that OH Krill episode, you're in great shape. If you have heard it, you'll sort of have a a little bit of a head start, but uh, I'll make sure that nobody who hasn't heard it is left behind. I don't know how many negatives were in that sentence, but I, I think it's probably the wrong number. So this is probably going to be uh, part one of the matrix. And we're just looking at volume one and uh, there's five volumes total. I don't know if we're going to look at volumes two through five. Volume one might take us two episodes because it's it's a lot. But uh, that means we better get started. So, who is Val or Valdemar Valerian? Well, uh, the name that's usually given to him, his real name is is John Grace, sometimes um, referred to as a U.S. Air Force captain. And he still runs a website, truefacts.org, like I, uh, like I explained in the introduction. So, who is he? There was a biography that appeared on the internet that uh, is fairly thorough. Valdemar Valerian, John Grace, has researched alien phenomena and interaction with human beings since 1969. He spent 18 months in Southeast Asia from 1970 to 71 as a combat photographer where he saw much UFO activity. After spending four years in England from 1980 to 1984, he gathered all the top research at his disposal and released what became known as the Krill Papers, forerunner of the 381-page book The Matrix, published in 1987. 
He began networking with researchers worldwide and started an organization known as Nevada Aerial Research Group, or NAR. Between 1988 and 1989, he functioned as Nevada State Section Director for MUFON. In 1990, he was appointed Interim Associate Director for UFO Contact Center International and was a member of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. In 1988, NAR began issuing a small newsletter detailing research findings. By 1990, this newsletter became known as The Leading Edge and has grown to a monthly 100-page publication. The massive 581-page work entitled Matrix 2 was released in 1990. In April of 1991, NAR moved to Washington State and was renamed as Leading Edge Research Group. Valerian has a degree in both civil engineering and psychology, and had significant input into Nippon television investigations on alien activities, the research that stimulated the production of the 1989 KLAS award-winning program entitled UFOs, Best Evidence. Now, we're definitely going to be doing an episode on UFOs, Best Evidence um, in the future. If we haven't already, I should probably, you know, check. I think I might have mentioned it in one of the watch these videos or watch these films um, episodes, maybe. I don't know. A whole episode about it would be uh, would be fun, perhaps. So this biography of uh, Val Valerian was pretty thorough. But the real question is, was it accurate? Val Valerian himself had some thoughts on the matter. There are some inaccuracies in this biography. Okay, such as? John Lear was the MUFON guy, not me. And that was pretty much um, the extent of his his complaints about the biography. I would note, and I don't, I'm not saying this is inaccurate, I'm not saying anybody's fibbing or anything like that, but I'm pretty sure that by 1990, APRO was no longer a going concern, as this bio seems to suggest. So the Leading Edge Research Group, as I mentioned before, is still going uh, at TrueFacts, T-R-U-F-A-X dot org. Listen to these endorsements. The Leading Edge Online Journal has been integral to my ability to chart a course through the chaotic shoals of these penultimate chapters of Endgame. Indubitably, the most spiritually advanced information on the planet. Additionally, some of the X-22 peripheral or tangential observations have been very helpful in providing information I probably would not have been aware of otherwise about things going on behind the scenes. It's just me, but I don't think he's using, he or she is using indubitably correctly there. Here's another endorsement. I've found your material to be uniquely insightful and a welcome respite from CFR filtered media feeds. I appreciate your focus, diligence, and excellence. It's not a conspiracy unless the Council on Foreign Relations is involved. I think that's just axiomatic at this point here's a final one this is my favorite endorsement of the site and, and one thing about the site i need to i need to point out because i don't think i've ever experienced this before i went to the site truefax.org t-r-u-f-a-x.org he can't say i'm not plugging the site if he listens to this i hope he doesn't listen to this so anyway this site i was trying to sort of you know highlight some of these endorsements for reading you can't highlight text on this site i think i think he set it up in some way that you can't actually copy and paste any text from the site, even, you know, innocuous stuff like endorsements. I don't know if it's all like an image that's there. It doesn't seem to be. It's weird. Um, but, uh, yeah. So my favorite endorsement of the three that I'm sharing here. What I've found to be the most useful aspect of the website is that I don't have to second guess the information. 
Of course, if I were to read something that did not resonate with me, I would not accept it as fact. That said, I have yet to read anything on the Leading Edge Journal online that has not resonated with me 100%, so a big thank you for that. Critical thinking, to whatever extent it ever actually existed, is clearly dead. Um, Is it true? Is it not true? Well, that depends on whether it resonates with me. And I don't have to think about the stuff on this site because it's always resonated with me 100%. My God. Okay. Anyway, that's it for the endorsements. Let's turn to The Matrix itself, a a TypeScript-style book uh, bound with those plastic sort of comb coil things, the pictures I've seen of the actual document itself. It's got a longish title that sort of calls back to the OH Krill documents. It's called The Matrix, Understanding Aspects of Covert Interaction with Alien Culture, Technology, and Planetary Power Structures. Now, in this what I'm thinking is the first installment of our episode on the matrix volume one. I think that uh, alien culture is going to be the extent of what we talk about and, and that sort of covert interaction. And in the second part of the matrix, we're going to be talking about the planetary power structures aspect of it, because this book, uh, like the OH Krill stuff, like a lot of the sort of John Lear flavored dark side hypothesis, material that emerged in the late 80s is very bound up and very connected to less extraterrestrial flavored conspiracy theories as well. And that's going to be shining through as we look at this. And it begins with a note from the author saying it's it's the distillation of over 15 years of research of which the last year has been the most significant. You know, coincidentally, this is, you know, that would have been 86, 87 when a lot of the MJ-12 stuff was spinning up and that gets some play in here. We should probably do an MJ-12 episode at some point, although I'm deeply reluctant. And in some things that that do echo that OH Krill document, um, there are some um, things the author is convinced are true. And I'm not going to go through all of these, but these are the high points. The government has captured alien technology and has interacted with them to ensure a similar development of our technology along the same lines. The government maintains underground facilities, some of which are jointly occupied by alien entities. Different alien species are interacting with human beings. Some of the alien species maintain underground facilities. Humans are being manipulated in these facilities. Manipulation of the human species extends to very deep levels. Levels of alien manipulation affect human evolution, genetics, and planetary power structures. So right there, we've got some of the basic sort of information that is you know, significant to this strand of UFO belief. Captured alien technology, agreements with aliens, underground facilities that we jointly occupy with the aliens. I sound like a broken record, but if you haven't gotten your hands on Adam Go Rightly's newest book, Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks, um, you may not have the entire picture of this. It's a great book, and I can't go into it too much without just, you know, co-opting all of his work and sort of just presenting it. I'm not going to do that, so you should go read that book. But it, it has a lot of sort of behind-the-scenes movement uh, that underlies or underlay. I think a lot of what was going on during this time. Here are some more things that the the author has become convinced 
are true. Animal and human mutilations are being performed. Abduction of human beings occurs on a regular basis. Alien interaction with the human community will soon have increased impact on society. A minimum of 70 species are interacting with our planet. Four or five alien species are doing the most interaction. So again, we're getting some pieces of a puzzle that we've seen play out in other ways. And these things that the author is convinced are true also bleed over into some other areas that we've discussed in previous episodes. For example, the project loosely known as Alternative 3 is at least 60% true. Aliens have affected the human religious systems. Some of the most outspoken ufologists work for and with the government. The public is being acclimated through the media to the following information. Reinforcement of the one-world concept. Aliens do exist and are among us. Alien motives may not be pleasant. Acceptance of the dehumanization of man. Mind control is actively being used by alien entities insofar as their ability to manipulate the human mind is being used to subdue human beings for their own purposes. The CIA and other government agencies have used mind control techniques to perform assassinations and to further negative operations that are counterproductive to human progress. So we've got Alternative 3. Yay, we did an episode on that. Um... We haven't done much with the aliens affecting human religious systems, although we're going to be covering sort of Val Valerian's notions about that that also made their way into, you know, the O.H. Krill stuff and the John Lear stuff and all those things that floated around. Um, This point about the most outspoken ufologists working for and with the government, we are almost in 1988 when this is released to 1989 when at the big MUFON conference in Los Angeles, a guy named Bill Moore is going to talk about the degree to which he had been working with elements of the government. And that's going to be an episode that we're going to be getting to um, probably in the fall. I'm thinking the 89 MUFON conference will be a, a fall episode, I'm pretty sure. There's also, you know, mind control here, mind control being used by the alien entities and by the government. And that last point about mind control to perform assassinations and to further negative operations that are counterproductive to human process or progress, rather, that's interesting. And it jumps out at me because there's no aliens there, right? That last bullet point in that selection is just about what the CIA and other government agencies have been doing to human beings. Um, So there's two separate tracks that sort of go through this book. There's the alien stuff and also the more straightforward government, uh, government conspiracy material as well. So when we talked about the OH Krill papers, one of the things we talked about, and if you didn't listen to that episode, I'm going to tell you about it now, is that the story goes that John Lear and Val Valerian, a.k.a. John Grace, put together the O.H. Krill document as a way to sort of flush out people who might not have been um, spreading entirely good information. And the most famous story about this is that our friend Bill Cooper claimed that he had seen the O.H. Krill document back when he was a, an intelligence staffer in the uh, in the Navy working for the commander of the Pacific Fleet, at which point John Lear took him aside and said, Bill, we just you know, we just made that up last week and, and Cooper, you know, loses his tiny mind about it. So there's this sort of history of the Krill document 
being, uh, if not a hoax, then a, uh, a tool to flush out people who might not be telling the truth. So what's interesting to me is that after that author's note, there is a section that is headed, quote, many thanks go to the following researchers who have made a real contribution to the store of knowledge we have about these subjects. And there's a list of probably three dozen names here. And some of them are, you know, are sort of like, you sort of roll your eyes like, um, oh, uh, Nikola, Nikola Tesla, right? Nikola Tesla. Oh yeah, Tesla, huge, huge impact on my, my study about uh, the alien interaction and underground bases. And others are, you know, you're like, duh, John Lear is on the list. But then there are a couple. Actually, there's one that jumps out at me, one and a half maybe. The first name on the list, and it's not an alphabetical list, so that's not, uh, that's not the, uh, the issue, is Gray Barker. Gray Barker is the first name on the list. And one could say that this is because there is some material about the men in black contained in the Matrix that we're going to see. And who did more to, to popularize the notion of the men in black than Gray Barker? Uh, he sort of invented that um, based on the uh, the stories and, and sort of claims of Al Bender. And also on the list is um, is John Keel, who probably did the second most to popularize the Men in Black um, stuff uh, with uh, with some of the, the Men in Black stories in the Mothman prophecies, which have become sort of sort of enshrined in MIB lore. So that's one reason why Gray Barker would be on the list. But that's not what I thought when I saw Gray Barker's name on the list. What I thought is how best to sort of subtly wink that this is, again, if not a hoax, then certainly something that maybe shouldn't be taken um, entirely literally. How best to convey that sort of winkingly by putting Gray Barker, who carried out a number of hoaxes and a number of works that are, to be charitable, exaggerations of things that, uh, that may have happened like Gray Barker. I mean, how better to sort of winkingly and noddingly say, yeah, um, real influenced on this work, Gray Barker. So that's, that's good. That's fun. And also related to the, uh, the bullet point about ufologists working with and for the government also on the list is one William Moore, uh, about whom we'll be hearing more later this year. So that list of people is very interesting to me. Also interesting is um, another paragraph. This report is a confidential work, all caps, that is intended for review by the serious researcher and assumes a basic familiarity with the general subject matter in the field. It was not produced specifically for the general public. I love stuff like this. I love things that are confidential and classified, even though they're just printed up by some guy somewhere. Um, I love this this way to sort of suck up to the audience and to the readership and say, look, if you're reading this, you're, you're not just some clown who saw some UFO show on TV and decided to look at a book. You're, you're one of the saucer intelligentsia, right? You're about to be the recipient of basically secret knowledge. And it, it's a way to, to flatter the audience. It's a, it's a way to flatter the readership and, um, and it, it, it works. When I first got into uh, to this stuff, when I would read 
documents on the internet that you get from some weird FTP site where all you have is an IP address, you know, and somebody told you the username and the password and you go and you find all these documents that are basically the same documents you find everywhere else, right? You know, when they'd say things like that, you know, 19-year-old me was very much, oh man, should I be reading this? Um, And the answer is probably not, but not because it was confidential, but because it really screws up your mind and keeps you from like writing papers and studying for exams and stuff, right? So it's interesting. It's a nice little touch. And one thing I should say at this point is that we are 20 minutes into this episode and we are not making this up. Um eight pages into this book. So this is a deep dive into the matrix. Um, It's not all going to be this sort of sentence level stuff, but you can see why I realized this should probably be two episodes. So now to get into the guts of the book itself, it starts off with a section entitled human perception and alien presence, the media connection. And what this sort of talks about is the way that the media has been used to um, sort of prepare people for the uh, for the the alien presence the reality of the alien presence Um, and it talks more broadly about how quote the media supports an image of reality that is myopic and narrow-minded and why they do not go out of their way to publicize information dealing with the presence of aliens on our planet so end quote so it's not just about aliens although it is but it's also about how the media is quote, an effective tool for psychological acclimation of the public, end quote. And you can sort of expand that from alien stuff to all sorts of other stuff. And the um, it talks about this later as well, but here sort of initially proposing the idea that the government has made a lot of use of television to acclimate the public. It talks about the V miniseries. Remember V? Um, Star Trek, mentioned Star Trek. Um And we know about this. We've talked about the Robertson panel report the CIA did where they suggested that organizations like Disney could be used to sort of demystify the UFO, uh, the UFO topic for the public. And it also talks about the way that subliminal messaging may have been used to sort of inculcate these ideas in the mind of the public. So that connects to some mind control type of things that, uh, that are out there and then sort of segues into his 12 years of research. And, um, the fact that even after that, uh, Val Valerian has quote, retained his sense of humor and still plays with a full deck. Well, not quote, I sort of paraphrased that to put it into the third person. So, now we're getting into the alien stuff and the fact that there are numerous, numerous types of humanoid aliens, beings who, quote, look more or less like terrestrial humans, except they're not. Um, so how do we know who is a humanoid alien and who is just a regular human? Fortunately, Val has a story about that for us. A friend of mine and four of his friends experimented with crystalline structures a year or two ago, and they figured out how to cut them along certain planes so they could actually see the aura or energy field around people. That's when they discovered that all people aren't people, or the people they thought they were. It appears that some ET humanoids have a dark blue ovoid aura. It so happens that all the people they checked that met this criteria also wore dark glasses and made every attempt to act like they really wanted nothing to do with people in general. They followed one of these people out into the desert, where he evidently had a trailer. After waiting until dusk, they made a pretense of needing help and knocked on the door. After a short while, the light went on, 
and the man came to the door. He looked normal, except that his pupils were vertical slits instead of circles. It works. The only trouble is that it costs $2,000 to put a pair of these glasses together. What if you had a pair of glasses like this? How would you react if your friends exhibited the signs of being non-human? How would you alter your life once you had confirmation of this? What would you do? Who would you tell? See the problem? And I love that angle. I love that notion of it doesn't matter what you know to be the truth. What are you going to do with that truth? What can you do with that truth? If you had the magic $2,000 glasses, and that sounds really damn cheap, if you had the magic $2,000 glasses that allowed you to know who was an alien and who was not, sort of in the style of they live, and I think that sort of callback in there is, is probably intentional. If you knew this, if you had this ability, what would you actually do? What are you going to do? Round up the aliens? Tell the cops that your magic glasses told you there are humanoid aliens on every street corner um, causing trouble, planning to subvert the natural human-led order of the planet Earth or whatever? No, you're not going to do anything. You're just going to be there with your secret knowledge, and you're going to worry yourself into some sort of decline. So I love that, and it's sort of reminiscent of, and you may have heard this, you may not have, of the 2003 appearance of John Lear on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, where he presented Art with the John Lear briefing or something like that, which was basically all of this stuff from the late 80s, you know, the, 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 the alien abduction bargain with the government, alien technology, you know, they're eating our souls or whatever. And then John Lear asked Art, you know, do you tell the public? And Art, you know, as Art always sort of did, was in favor of not telling the public, um, that the public could not handle it. So it's that sort of idea sort of threaded throughout these things is something that I always get a kick out of because it's so much more interesting than just the knee-jerk tell the public reaction. Tell the public what? Tell the public why. What are you going to do with it? What are they going to do with it? What kinds of problems might result if you tell people things that they maybe can't quite handle? So from there, we move into a sort of history of this UFO conspiracy, and it's very familiar to most of you probably. If you're familiar with this program and other sort of UFO lore uh, media, you will you will be familiar with this. And, and an example of, of sort of the standard narrative that's presented here is, uh, is is Val Valerian's description of the role the Central Intelligence Agency played in this. The CIA. At the end of World War II, Gestapo intelligence personnel were brought to the United States under the guidance of Alan Dulles and Reinhard Galen, given citizenship, and helped create the structure for the Central Intelligence Agency. All this was done without the knowledge or consent of American citizens. The primary function of the CIA, as soon as all of this UFO business began, was UFO R&D and security. They still, to this day, maintain that stance, although the MJ-12 group maintains general control over general policy and public integration and acclimation procedures. Now, even if that was the entire story of the CIA's creation and the entire story of what they do, it's not, it's still very sort of generic and and sort of, well, not generic, but rather so UFO-centric when, when, when the world is not UFO-centric, even, even if the UFO 
narrative presented here and in, in places like here was largely true, I don't think it is, even if it was, you'd still have other geopolitical things happening because the vast majority of people in the service of government, military leadership, political leadership, things like that are not aware, right? Because it's super tippy top secret and only like 13 and a half people know the whole story. So to say that, you know, the the CIA's primary job was to manage the UFO cover up uh, sort of ignores, you know, everything else that the military and industrial apparatuses of this country and many other countries were involved in following World War II. Um, and of course, one could argue, as some probably have, that well, all of these other things, you know, the, the Suez Crisis and and whatever, were, these were all cover stories. Yeah, okay, um, maybe, maybe not. So we go through this history, and we also get the emergence of other government agencies, um, and sometimes they are imbued with powers and authority that I'm sure the people running these things really wish they actually had, such as this example about the National Security Agency. The NSA can monitor any individual in minute detail. It brings to mind a story an ex-agency fellow had to tell about the singing rock. It was discovered that sound waves, voices, etc., beamed at a rock could be recovered minutes later after the sound had stopped. That was more than 20 years ago. Today, the state of technology is such that a complete audio and video record of you can be made more than two weeks after you were at any location, and all of this is by satellite. So this harkens back to an idea that I've, I've really enjoyed toying around with uh, mentally over the years of archaeoacoustics, about, about sort of using sound to determine the ways that spaces were used. People like Paul Devereaux getting involved with, uh, with these things as well. And I just like how this sort of not fringe, but not entirely mainstream sort of way of, of examining the, the history of spaces has been co-opted here into something that is much more powerful and fascinating, but also somehow more, uh, more banal and, uh, and prosaic as surveillance by the National Security Agency. And speaking of surveillance, um, what happens if you're working on one of these projects, you're part of the secret government apparatus, and you break the rules where there's a nice list of consequences or steps that are taken to, um, to correct people's indiscretions? One, a verbal warning accompanied by a review of the security oath. Two, a stronger warning, sometimes accompanied by browbeating and intimidation. Three, psychologically working on an individual to bring on depression that will lead to suicide. Four, murder of the individual that is made to appear as an accident, suicide, or heart attack, a favorite method used by the CIA. Five, strange and sudden accidents, always fatal. Six, total memory loss. NASA has a black metallic hood-like device for this. Some alien groups have other devices that accomplish this. Seven, confinement in special detention centers. Eight, confinement in insane asylums where they are treated by mind control and deprogramming techniques. Individuals are released with changed personalities, identities, and altered memories. Alien groups do this too, but I will explain that part later. 9. Bringing the person into the inside, where he is employed and works for them, and where he can be watched. This is usually in closed facilities with little or no access to the outside world. 
underground facilities are very often used for this method. My favorite thing about this is not, you know, the way you can sort of map some of these things onto cases of think, uh, cases where people were supposedly murdered, where it was made to look like a suicide or some sort of natural, uh, natural cause, but also the way this sort of echoes or parallels very normal, very um, normal is probably the best word, normal everyday uh, examples of uh, progressive uh, progressive discipline uh, sort of outlined by human resource departments at various jobs or educational institutions or things like that you know we do this and if that doesn't work we will have to move to this and and eventually you know well I don't think any HR department at places where I've worked has ever erased anybody's mind or changed their personality but um, I don't know maybe Next time, um, we continue. We'll be continuing with The Matrix. So um, stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned for that. And on The Saucer Afterlife, which is sort of alternating weeks from the regular episodes, we're going to try something new. If you have follow up comments or questions about this episode, let me know and I will try to address them. And we'll have one of our associates on hand to ask questions of their own as well. It's an experiment. We'll see how this works out. You can check out past episodes, read some reviews of things, and support the show at saucerlife.com. You can also support us through the link in the show notes. And thank you very much to those who've donated in the past. We appreciate it very much. As always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife. And you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. Those would be the places to ask questions. Uh, if you want to mail us interesting legal things, you can contact us by post at Media. P.O. Box 68, Grand Blank, Michigan, 48480. And The Saucer Life, as always, is available anywhere you can find podcasts. So, a dozen years of research. What is Val Valerian's reasoning for doing this? What are, what are his motivations for compiling this massive report of hundreds of pages? Is it just to get the knowledge of aliens out there, or is there something more? At this point, I might say that the main reason for doing this report is that over the years I became tired of seeing people get hurt unnecessarily and suffer because some others were withholding technology for their own purposes. There is a solution, and it is about time that it was implemented. People always do what they feel they have to do. I'm sure that the ones who made the deal with the Greys felt they had to do what they had to do. It does not, however, make it right. Primary energy technology is one of the big areas where suppression also reigns supreme. Quite a few people have been persecuted in this country for their discoveries. Any Hall of Fame would have to include Dr. Wilhelm Reich, Ruth Drown, John Moray, and a host of others. The effort to maintain a state of cultural stasis seems to be the prime object. To allow those in power to remain that way and to dominate the rest of society for the sake of power and greed. From one point of view, the people who have made a deal with the Greys were, perhaps, just as bad as those who sold us out during all the wars we have been involved in. They sold out the United States of America for greed and power. Any person who views this country with such disdain warrants investigation. For the United States, even though it has its faults, is one of the last places where any investigations like this can take place. To have people suppress others is unacceptable. To have people attempt to overthrow the government is unacceptable. This is the other reason for this report. I do not agree with this situation, and I would like to see it stop before every vestige of freedom and evolvement is purged from our midst. 
So it's not just about aliens. It's about free energy. It's about this notion of cultural stasis that those in the power elite want to perpetuate, to, of course, perpetuate their own power. It's more multifaceted than just grays and underground bases. There's more going on here. And that's one of the things I, I think is interesting about this is that it doesn't just focus on the alien conspiracy. There are other things, and, and those things are going to get broader as we go along. Speaking of going along, we need to pick up the pace a little bit on this deeper than I had expected dive into, uh, into the Matrix. We are 36 minutes into this episode, and we are on page 25 of the, uh, the PDF version I have. So, um, yeah, let's pick it up. Continues with um, report, the unofficial CIA report by uh, a journalist named Warren Smith. Basically, it recaps the CIA's involvement in the UFO field. Um, we go on to now the sort of cattle mutilation, livestock mutilation uh, thing. And there will probably be a episode about this in the future. The classic mutilation reports from the 1970s, for example. Um, and what we have here is, uh, at the end of all this, a reprint from Stigmata magazine, which um, was created by a guy named Tom Adams, who outlined um, some of the things that were going on between black helicopters, supposed men in black, and the cattle mutilation or livestock mutilation phenomenon. So here is, uh, is Tom Adams' um, possible explanations for these things. In Stigmata number 5, Tom Adams outlined the most prominent speculative explanations accounting for the mutilation helicopter link, including the following. A. The helicopters are themselves UFOs, disguised to appear as terrestrial aircraft. B. The choppers originate from or are allied with the government-slash-military and are not involved in the actual mutilations but are investigating them. C. The choppers originate from within the government and are conducting some of the mutilations. D. The helicopters are government-slash-military, and they know about the identity and motives of those who are perpetrating the mutilations, and by their presence are trying to divert attention to the possibility of involvement by the military. Valerian also gets into a human mutilation case um, that came from the what he calls the controversial Grudge 13 report, um, which we talked about in a little bit of depth in the uh, the episode on Bill English. I think it was called The Many Grudges of Bill English or something like that from, gosh, a couple years ago, I think. So in the midst of this mutilation section, there is a sentence or a, a passage that jumped out at me, uh, sort of um, sort of that, that sums up a lot of not just what's going on in Val Valerian's Matrix book, but also um, just the, the paranormal in general, this assumption that seems to arise. Coincidence? That concept doesn't seem to be valid anymore, does it? Now, I'm not saying there aren't such things as synchronicities or meaningful coincidences, um, but I don't know, sometimes in the paranormal field... Um, you know, I think we, we, not we, I'm not in the paranormal field. Uh, they, those people in the paranormal field, tend to default to 
anything coincidental being some kind of synchronicity or some kind of conspiracy. Here at Chizo Towers, among uh, those of us who are working on these things, we uh, we, we usually make fun of, of synchronicity. Any, any strange thing that happens, we, we, we scream synchronicity and things like that. But um, yeah, coincidence? The concept doesn't seem to be valid anymore, does it? Well, yeah, it does seem to be valid, Val. Um, so... Moving along, we have our first section where we've got some um, got some some marginalia, and uh, this is we're getting back to the alien abduction side of things with the Greys. For those keeping track, we are on page fifty one of my PDF, and we are at uh, minute forty of the podcast. So we're we're moving right along, aren't we? So um, the Greys, what's the deal with the Greys? Why are they doing what they're doing? What is the relationship, the true relationship? between humans and the greys. According to Jenny Randalls, British author who wrote UFO Conspiracy, the little gray beings who perform most of the abductions have, on at least one occasion, made a statement to the effect that, quote, a thousand of your years are but a day to us. Certainly, that can reflect the apparent ability of the greys to travel outside our time track, but it also illustrates the insidious nature of the relationship that the greys have established with the bulk of the terrestrial beings they have contacted. It is an established fact that the Zeta Reticulans are one species of extraterrestrial biological entity whose mindset is centered solely on concern for their own well-being. This concern that they have for their own species is based, according to what we can determine, from a purely survival-oriented scenario. This scenario provides for the use of terrestrial humans in several ways, and to them, resolution of this problem necessitates exploitation of humans. They tend to view humans in the same way that ants view aphids. It is, however not apparently a symbiotic relationship. And our margin commenter is fairly uh, observant and sensible about this. This doesn't sound positive. No, anonymous commenter, it does not. Valerian then goes into the history of abductions, going back to the Betty and Barney Hill case, Antonio Villas-Boas, um, people you've probably heard, of, oh, we've never done a Betty and Barney Hill episode, have we? I don't know. There's a lot out there about Betty and Barney Hill. Maybe I'll just let it lay. I don't know. But as we get to sort of the culmination of the abduction section, um, Valerian presents some theories about from a, another person about patterns that seem to emerge in the abduction phenomenon. Thomas Bullard introduces a series of eight components to abduction cases. While every case may not include all of these components, most of them have one or more of them included. The components are 1. Capture. Person is procured for the process. 2. Examination. Person is prepared, scanned, specimens are taken, reproductive organs are examined, and implants are made. 3. Conference. Subject is talked to and told information or misinformation. 4. Tour. Subject is shown around the ship. 5. Journeys. Subject is taken to another location. 6. Theophany. Subject has experience with religious meanings slash overtones. 7. Return. Subject is returned to point of origin. 8. Aftermath. Subject deals with resultant physical or psychic effects of abduction. Now, what strikes me about this, and it might strike you too, is that there is a lot more overlap with contactee experiences as opposed to abduction experiences that than we're usually 
sort of familiar with hearing. I'm thinking in particular the the conference, the tour, the journeys, the uh, the theophany. Um, these aspects of this recurring pattern that Bullard elucidates here are common in the contactee experience. And I think it's interesting that these aspects are, I'm not, I'm not saying they're absent from contactee research, not at all. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that it's usually not the focus. Usually the focus is on that examination and usually the capture, but the examination and the aftermath uh, are, are usually what are mostly talked about because honestly, that's, that's where the, you know, that's where the body horror stuff is. Right. And that's what, uh, that's what sells and sells is in quotes. It's UFO stuff, but um, that's what sells relative to other UFO stuff. Also, with regard to abductions, we've got um, some theories and things like that. And one of these I really, really liked. Listen to this one. Archetypal situational theories. It is maintained by some people that abduction events contain embedded symbology, including religious data pertinent to either the abductee's life or the culture in which the abductee lives. In other words, this is part of the unconscious manifestation theory, which goes to say that the victim is confronting an aspect of himself. It is further maintained that each experience is modified for each specific person. This idea of culturally contextual abductions kind of appeals to me from a, a social science standpoint. I think it's, it's really interesting that okay, that the, the, the greys or whoever would, would you know, custom cater abduction experiences to the cultural background of the individual being abducted. There's also a bit of, I'm not sure I want to call it victim shaming, but um, kind of, well, these sorts of people sometimes deserve what they get kind of thing going on. If the individual maintains a negative state of mind or a negative attitude, then the person's thought patterns will resonate in that way and attract those of like focus. The EBEs can detect thought processes along certain lines that are advantageous to them. Well, if you're one of these negative state of mind people, well, the grays are just going to show up. You know, they they like people like you. So if you you've got a negative state of mind, negative attitude, well, you know, you're you're going to get probed, Jimmy. That's all there is to it. Our margin commenter has some actually extensive comments about that um, and about uh, law enforcement uh, tying into this, which is kind of interesting. Negative can and does mean paranoid. If police and law enforcement personnel are, for any reason, in fact, afraid of their lives and or physical safety or doing the I'm Mr. Big Mr. Macho bit, it is in fact the same trip. They set themselves up for abduction and manipulation. Very important to mandate quasi-military police, i.e. the manipulators. It is in fact the same trip. So, what our margin commenter seems to be uh, talking about, if I can interpret what they said here, was well, not what they said, what they they wrote. Um, it's easy to interpret what they said; it was very clearly read. But what they wrote, um, there seems to be some some danger of uh, cops being a target because they're doing the Mister Big Mister Macho bit, um, and uh, they're paranoid for their own safety, and this will lead to the manipulators implementing um, quasi-military police 
or something. That's the great thing about margin notes. You're never quite sure what they actually mean, but, uh, but they're fun. Valerian then goes into some of the differences between the various gray species, and one that I found particularly interesting is gray species one, because it's, um, it's interesting. And, and there's a lot of stuff that, that has leaked out into other aspects of the UFO lore that's related to these dark side hypothesis sorts of things, but I like the level of detail here. Gray species one exists in between the physical world of Earth and the non-physical. It is a species that appears to be on a devoluting spiral. They do not come here in physical machines as do the other two gray species. Gray species one has the ability to manipulate the human mental field as well as the ability to travel outside our subjective linear time track. Gray species one had a major role in programming human religious concepts, for this plays a primary role in their maintenance of position within the dimension they exist in. It is the energy they extract from the human that provides them with the ability to remain in close proximity to our density level. An apparent purpose of religion for them is that it programs the human being with images of an afterlife that they will hopefully retain when they leave their body for the last time at physical death. It places them in a position where their soul can be temporarily captured. It has been said that part of the UFO scenario has to do with the creation of a basic question in the minds of humans who are trapped both in a linear subjective time track and a physical body, so that when people on Earth die, they find gray species one. Disembodied humans are conditioned to move toward the light that they see when they die. That's where the gray species have electromagnetic devices that they use to remove accreted particles from the soul. Human experience can be withdrawn as well. In fact, this is often done to astrally abducted humans. It might be noted at this point that this involvement of the greys is fairly recent and has not always been there. Other beings, however, have been involved in the progression of the human soul. This whole don't go towards the light thing and, and the notion of the, the souls being harvested in some way by the aliens um, came out very strongly in the John Lear papers that were published uh, around this time. It was still part of the whole thing when John Lear appeared on Art Bell with that briefing document or the, the, the John Lear briefing back in 2003. And by that point, I think there had been incorporated the notion of a soul-catching machine on the moon. But speaking of, of souls and the afterlife, um, Valerian gets into uh, the, the role or the, the planned role or the purpose of earthly religions a bit as well. Actually, not a bit. There's quite a bit on it. And it begins in earnest with a discussion of the Fatima incident from Portugal in 1917. It is maintained that the Fatima incident in 1917 held the fact that religion is a false concept, and this is why the sealed envelope containing the data transmitted during that incident is held by the Roman Catholics in order to sustain religious belief systems and maintain their power over people. At least one pope was murdered after he had intended to reveal the data to the public. Did you catch that passive voice at the beginning? It is maintained. By whom? Who's maintaining this? Give me a name. Give me a footnote, you clown. Anyway, uh, our margin commenter has margin commented on this section, and this is, this is interesting. Two popes murdered. Navy infiltrated Vatican. In 1972, Navy records show one. 1992, big war in Middle East. 1993, U.S. becomes involved. Two, 
1963, The Antichrist Born in USA. 3. 1998-1999, Armageddon. 4. 2001, Christ Returns. I missed all that. I, I was kind of busy in the 80s and 90s, but um, or the 90s and early 2000s, but I think I would have noticed Armageddon and Christ Returning. Unless... Oh, gosh, I missed it, and now I'm stuck here on Earth in 2021. Oh, gosh, I should have been paying more attention. Valerian continues with his discussion of earthly religion. Yes, Virginia, there really is no religion. There is, however, unconditional love and non-judgment. These are the prime movers of all reality systems. The universe embodying all reality systems and dimensional resonant frequencies is a conscious entity. What terrestrial humans can visually observe, they are not able to perceive as being conscious. It is another one of those problems associated with being stuck both in a physical body and on a linear time track. The process that is occurring now is occurring because religious concept systems are breaking down and it threatens several established systems on Earth and elsewhere. One of the other more insidious processes that can occur is that the human can be dragged out of his body and another consciousness can be inserted that will carry out the physical existence of that body. Ooh, soul swapping. So the religion system section sort of tapers off for a little bit, and we're back to talking about the greys. We've got gray species too, the reticulans, and these are the ones that are most commonly thought of as being the greys, uh, the ones popularized in books, he says. They exist at the third, fourth, and fifth density levels, whatever that means. Um, I guess fourth density level means they're telepathic, fifth level they have no physical bodies at all, but must inhabit, quote, what they call doll bodies or android bionic bodies. And the connection, they connect with these bodies through chakra points. Yeah. Um, so these are the, um, they're, they're part of a group mind. Uh, they are sort of the, the, the field troops of the, uh, of the, the whole gray complex. And they're, they're trying to crossbreed with humans to create, quote, a mixture race that will be better than either the grays these three there's three groups of grays and they all work in sort of a loose alliance with different roles within that alliance gray species three come from the rigelian system and the species three were the ones who made that agreement with the united states government to trade technology for um, abduction victims and things like that now the agreement broke down when the government realized that they had sold their souls to the bad guys. And as of May 1988, Val says there is an effort to engender a two-step process. Um, so this is the two-step process. And I'm not sure engender is the right word there, but that's the word he used. One, acclamation of the public mass consciousness to the concepts of alien interaction by way of media Various plans were put in action to accomplish this, such as movies like V and the recent movie, soon to be a series, Something's Out There. It was realized at one point that they could not bring the matter into the public awareness without bringing the full impact of what had been done also into public awareness. Factions of the government are between a rock and a hard place because of this. The second step in this process is to actively seek a defense against the EBEs, and this is currently being done, and done with the help of the tall blondes who object to the actions of the EBEs, known as the gray species. Three, one of the actions that had been taken by the EBEs was to set up electromagnetic confinement zones in order to keep the tall blondes helping the humans confined. 
The government has also set up electromagnetic zones to keep out the EBEs, so it is a standoff situation. The EBEs are now, as of May 1988, overextended in their efforts in this direction, and it is estimated that a solution to the problem of how to reverse this grievous error will be found very shortly. He also talks a bit more about the gray species three or the Rigelians. And this is, this is some weird stuff. The gray species three entities have been in control over this planet for decades. The process of trading technology for letting the aliens perform their operations was also done during World War II with the Germans. Since the EBEs gain a high from displays of intense emotion, it is rapidly seen that what the Germans were doing during the war contributed to the EBE psychological climate, especially with the mass murder of the Jews and the war in general, which was a contrived affair as all wars are. One often remarks about the presence of discs in war zones. That's why they're there. I'm a little uncomfortable as an historian and as a human being with uh, the Holocaust being turned in, or any genocide, being turned into a plot point in a UFO conspiracy theory. Uh, That just strikes me as kind of wrong, right? Um, Although, given some of the people who've inhabited the UFO sphere over the years, I suppose maybe we should be, I don't know, happy that there wasn't sort of just outright Holocaust denial here, right? So, um, yikes. He goes back and talks about gray species too, as well, the Zeta reticulans. In electronic space societies of positive orientation, such as the Zeta reticulans, knowledge and data are most often disseminated under duress. Training or education is accomplished by forceful means, such as the electronic implant. There are several means of rapid inculcation, depending on whether the recipient makes use of a meat body or an android body. As you might know, some of these implants are used on human beings. Some of these implants are responsible for humans not realizing their true nature, and also for the system of self-imposed limitation that is rampant on Earth. During this process, the recipient is reprogrammed to perform other activities, which can be triggered at a later moment there is some evidence that many abductees over the past several years have been programmed with instructions, but we cannot determine the exact nature of the instructions, only that they are to be carried out in the next two to five years. So in addition to abducting people and sort of torpedoing the agreement between the United States and the various alien nations, the EBEs have been involved with a bunch of other creepy stuff as well. And they are in total control. Interesting, scary, terrifying. The degree to which the EBEs have interpenetrated our civilization is massive. They maintain bases all over the world, especially in the United States, and control virtually every aspect of our society at the root level. At the superficial power domination level, the Illuminati-related groups control areas that interface directly with terrestrial humans. What humans view as a conspiracy is only a superficial perception of a deeper, multi-level problem. Well, for one thing, I'm not entirely sure that interpenetrated is a word. It might be. I don't think I've ever seen it, but we've got some stuff going on here. We've got some underground base stuff again, and this control over virtually every aspect of our society at the root level. Um, We're getting into a little bit into more, 
I'm not sure I want to say political conspiracy theory, but getting into conspiracy theories that, like some other aspects of the book we're familiar with already, aren't entirely alien-based, that are more that are more social, more cultural, more political. And this comes through in this particular section that we're in. And for your notes, we are on page 84 of the PDF, and we are at minute 59. So we're doing really well. We're doing really, really well. But we'd really get into this uh, political stuff a little bit more right now. Inside the federal government in the United States, there is an inner government, including MJ-12, which makes use of the CIA, NSA, FBI, NASA, the military, and the Federal Reserve banking system. Mind control of the populace to further preserve the status quo is one of the reasons why thought beam and implant technology became one of the driving forces to make an agreement with the EBEs. Release of various substances, such as viruses and bacteria, to further reduce undesirable elements of the human population and withdrawal of social programs to further factionalize the population, have been and are being performed under the guidance of the EBEs to enable further control of the population of the Earth. These procedures are designed to benefit both the EBEs and the factions that maintain the ego-domination power structure that exists. So yeah, there's stuff going on under the guidance of the EBEs or the aliens, but the use of viruses and bacteria to reduce undesirable elements, withdrawal of social programs to factionalize the population, this is not alien stuff, man. This is this is standard standard 80s, 90s conspiracy theory talk. Uh, mind control is there, but also, you know, mind control of course roots in, you know, historically you know, documented efforts by the federal government, but, you know, bio war against the population. This is, these are not the fun conspiracy theories. These are the conspiracy theories that make you sort of stay awake at night because you know, deep down that this stuff has been tried, right? Um, so pretty, uh, pretty difficult stuff here. And then another sort of conspiracist trope Looking to the past to sort of paint a picture of what was once a a golden age, or at least something closer to it than what we have now. At this point, I feel that it is necessary to say that what people view as the government, or what Thomas Jefferson and George Washington had in mind, has long since been overthrown by these other forces, and the freedoms that Americans enjoy are contrived and well-controlled liberties. The human race as a whole has been betrayed and subverted. This ain't the same government we had back when the Constitution was written by George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Uh, no, it's it's not. Clearly, it's not. But you know, is this the the process of you know a long evolution and in, in the the way the country developed and and our founding sort of principles of you know adapting, expanding to to meet new challenges, or is it part of a cover up to um, to betray and subvert the entire human race? The answer as with most things, is probably somewhere in the middle. Valerian continues this idea and brings in some larger, uh, some larger conspiratorial tropes as well. The idea of what was for the common good has been transformed from a peaceful progressive process of evolution into a devoluting process of dehumanization. Now, the idea of one world, one government that has been proposed is only an extension of current processes to envelop the entire planet. 
If the situation were different, and the human race were not being assaulted from so many directions, it might develop that way on its own as more humans develop further into fourth density and become more telepathic. Being a telepathic society does not destroy individualism, but it does set the stage for a society which, in its interaction, is honest, loving, and non-judgmental in its relationships with each other and other species. However, it will only develop this way if not diverted by other influences. If the planet has been influenced this way, then it must be changed if we are to advance and evolve into a peaceful, progressive civilization. This is an interesting idea. The idea that that a one-world government or one-world, one-government is not necessarily a bad thing if it's arrived at honestly and naturally as part of the evolution of, of human political and social and cultural systems. But no, what we're getting with the New World Order or the one-world one government movement, the author seems to be saying, is something artificial, something imposed on us, something that is um, that is malign. So now we move to um, selections from something called a tentative taxonomy of extraterrestrial humanoids, which is um, from somebody named George Andrews, whose book um, Extraterrestrial Friends and Foes was or is to be published in late 1998, or we can say was published in late 1998. This information comes from, quote, a woman who has experienced multiple abductions by both the types of entities and who insists upon retaining her anonymity. So there's some interesting stuff in here that dovetails with other things that Valerian had been discussing, which you know makes sense since he brings this material into the matrix book as sort of corroboration of things he is saying and it's not just the alien stuff for example working under the instructions of the humanoids from rigel cia and former nazi scientists had developed and deployed malignant strains of bacteria and viruses including aids in order to exterminate undesirable elements of the human race so there's our viruses for undesirable members of the human race this time sort of locked into that uh, the AIDS virus and, and sort of the, the larger constellation of AIDS virus conspiracy theories that were current in the 1980s and 1990s. We also learn a little bit about um, how the aliens or, or under what conditions the aliens may impregnate human females. Terrestrial human females can be impregnated either on board ship or while they sleep in their homes. Males need not be manifested in visible form for this to occur. Well, honestly, the same is true of artificial insemination, right? I mean, the guy doesn't really have to be there. The guy just has to, you know, have contributed at some point, right? So, so what is what is on the surface a, ooh, wow, scary, how do they do that, is, oh, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of ways they could do that. So as we move further into this, and we are at uh, page 96 of 613 pages of this PDF, um, and, and the, the PDF isn't paginated like, the, uh, like the, uh, the actual book, but still, yikes. So why not just reveal the truth? Why isn't the truth out there? If, if the government is now fighting the evil extraterrestrials and, and trying to, to sustain itself in the face of this betrayal of the agreement we made with them back in the 1950s, why would, um, why would we not just sort of be more open about it? If it were all understood too soon, many would crumble under the weight of the truth. This earth is covered with windows into those other unseen worlds. If we had the instruments to detect them, 
we would find that these windows are the focal points for super high-frequency waves, the rays of ancient lore. These rays might come from Orion or the Pleiades, as the ancients claimed, or they might be part of the universal intelligent matrix that emanates throughout all reality systems and dimensions. We have the evidence that such rays exist. Now we are being told why. So, the author, in, in his list of people to thank, um, mentioned John Keel. And at first, I, I, I mentioned before that it was about, uh, probably you know, because there's Men in Black in some of these stories. And a lot of Men in Black stories can be traced back to, you know, John Keel's investigations. But also, and I didn't want to spoil anything, this idea of window areas or window zones is, is very much in keeping with a lot of what Keel wrote about, about window areas and places where the boundaries between the terrestrial and the ultra-terrestrial are a bit thin, which allows for, you know, strange phenomena to to emerge and things like that. So moving on a little bit more, um, we get some more information about the Regellians, the Regellians, type three of the greys, the the gray type three. And we, we learn about them and we find a connection between the Rigelians and a very famous uh, magic guy. That's magic with a K at the end, kids. The cool kind of magic, right? The Rigelians are almost entirely devoid of emotions, but can obtain a secondhand high by telepathically tuning in to different kinds of intense human emotion, such as ecstasy or agony. This is not done for the purpose of sadistic gratification, as most of them are oblivious to the difference between positive and negative mental states. It is a biochemical as well as a psychological process used as a mood elevator. Certain types of unusual sexual practices attract these entities like flies. It was Aleister Crowley's sexual pursuits rather than anything else which attracted these entities to him to absorb the energies released. Crowley was more effective as a medium than as a magician. Some of his diatribes about trampling the weak were due to telepathic linkage with entities who were obtaining a vicarious high from the intense emotion involved in such diatribes. So many of you may be aware that Aleister Crowley um, supposedly you know, conjured up a being called Lamb, I think L-A-M, who looked not entirely unlike a gray. So it isn't spelled out there, but that's kind of the connection. Uh, just a few more things in this first uh, first installment, first of two installments, just two, don't worry, installments about uh, Valdemar Valerian's Matrix 1. The anatomy of the extraterrestrials is something that's very interesting. During one of the autopsies on alien bodies, it was found that there existed a separate lobe of the brain that contained a crystalline network. This, to me, was an interesting discovery, for it made the connection with other information which we already possess about such networks. During examination of data from ancient texts, such as the Keys of Enoch, we can see that the networks are pertinent to advanced physical forms, and that these networks allow them to tap into the universal intelligent matrix. In these ancient texts, brains of advanced physical beings, presumably those of third and fourth densities that require the use of physical bodies, are described as having the right and left hemispheres of the brain fused and a small frontal lobe which acts as a crystal recorder structure, or third brain. This is exactly what the autopsies found. After some more discussion of the, the benefits of a crystalline third brain or something, we get basically a reprint of the Dulce papers or Dulce papers, the Dulce underground base. We talked about that in, uh, in one of our episodes about underground bases and we discussed those papers. And then we get the Nevada U.S. 
alien facility brief. They unearthed, quote, the high possibility of EBE base areas in the Nevada area. Observations, they say, from many individuals, some of whom have been threatened by various parties, have led to the following conclusions. And they found underground facilities or thought they found underground facilities that had several functions. Testing and development of defense space weaponry cloning of human replacement bodies that will be occupied by implanted consciousnesses, breeding laboratories for abducted human females, biological material processing laboratories, confinement facilities for humans, EBE government joint facilities, facilities for termination of humans, facilities for testing and development of gravitational vehicles for USAF, NSA, and the Department of Commerce, transference facilities for human abductees, Now, a lot of this is very sort of standard underground facility talk. But one thing that jumped out at me was facilities for termination of humans, uh, mostly because it reminded me we did a saucer afterlife thing about this, um, about the whole red list, blue list thing and the uh, the whole conspiracy theory trope of the FEMA death camps. And so I'm not sure I'd ever heard about the underground bases being a, a termination facility for human beings, but it uh, it makes sense. We also learn a little bit more about these, these window areas, or at least something related to those. Vortex areas serve as entry-exit points for various aerial vehicles. Vehicles as large as 200 feet in diameter have been seen for a long time at the Jumbo Peak Vortex area. Blue Diamond Vortex area is also very active, and as of June 1988, Discs have been seen during daylight hours. So these vortex areas are are places where the discs come and go there around Nevada. And also, if you've ever been to Vegas, and I haven't, um, and you see people who are a little bit strange, a little bit weird, a little bit, you know, not quite quite people you'd want to really hang around with, there might be a reason for that. The metropolitan Las Vegas area is filled with MIB-related activity and various humanoids that are observing human activities. So, if you've been to Las Vegas and you have encountered the Men in Black, let me know. I'd love to hear your story and share it on the upcoming Saucer Afterlife episode. So, following all of this, what we get are lots and lots of photocopied newspaper articles and government maps supposedly showing the locations of these alien bases or these human-alien jointly controlled underground bases. And this is where we're going to stop this episode at minute one hour 14. Uh, But one little cliffhanger. Before we jump into stuff that is a little more social and cultural and political in Matrix 1, still alien-flavored, don't worry, there is the second section of the book that is headed by two very different quotations from two very different public servants from American history. The first is from Thomas Jefferson. I know of no safe depository of the ultimate powers of society, but the people themselves. And if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. The second is from the 
slightly less well-known in most circles, Zbigniew Brzezinski, Jimmy Carter's national security advisor and member of the Trilateral Commission. In the technocratic society, the trend would seem to be towards the aggregation of the individual support of millions of uncoordinated citizens, easily within the reach of magnetic and attractive personalities, effectively exploiting the latest communication techniques to manipulate emotions and control reason. There we have it. Two very different takes on the role of the people vis-a-vis the powers that be and liberty and power and control from opposite ends of the spectrum of American history and in many ways the opposite ends of an ideological spectrum. Although I'm not sure Jefferson and Brzezinski are on the same spectrum. Um, Things are different in 1977 or whatever as they were in I think this letter is from about 1820. I think I found that Jefferson wrote this. But we'll see where all of this ties into the story of the aliens and their underground bases and three different types of greys and 30 other species living on Earth next time. Thanks for listening. Val Valerian's Matrix, part one, also featured the voice of Sasha Gimlinson as the marginalia and also because she's a huge thomas jefferson fan i let her read thomas jefferson music and special sounds were by the chizo media radiophonic workshop our associate producer is simpson j hanover the third who is back from assignment the saucer life is a production of chizo media llc chizo media our heart is with the people till next time keep watching the skies because the skies are watching you <laughs>